the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God will judge us for not only what we do, but for the very motive in our heart behind what we did. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. People can believe whatever they want to believe. Oh, I don't believe that. Hey, everyone's doing it today. Hey, what does it matter? Who cares? It's two consenting adults. You can say whatever you want to say, justify all you want to justify. God says, here's the conclusion. You're going to die one day and you stand before me. And in that day, if you live for yourself instead of for me, then you will not go to heaven. I mean, God, that's crazy. That's including all sex outside of marriage. But getting to our text today, in John chapter 8, we have a woman, and she's caught in the very act of adultery. Could you imagine what this woman's thinking, knowing that death is the penalty? Could you imagine what's going through her head as her sin has been exposed to all? Her plight is not looking good at all. But wait a minute. Hold on here. Something is missing. Something is rotten in Denmark here. Where is the man? Where's he at? Doesn't it take two to tango? I wonder if this wasn't a setup. Just how did these religious leaders know what was going on behind that particular closed door on this morning here? And just how did the man so conveniently slip out the back door? Yes, there's something fishy here, and John brings it out in verses 5 and 6. Let's read those again. It says, Now, in the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? Verse 6, for they were saying this, testing him, testing Jesus, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, and he wrote on the ground. Grounds for accusing him? Yes, because they weren't able to just stone people freely. They couldn't just go out and kill people themselves because Rome had came in and now Rome's the government of their own city. They, are not, they don't have all the legal means that they used to have. That's why when they wanted to kill Jesus, they had to take him before Pontius Pilate. So it's like, ah, let's trick Jesus this way. If he says for us to stone him, well, he told us to do it and then he would be in trouble with the Romans. There was other reasons too. We'll get into those here in a moment. Yes, they were testing Jesus. Again, why? They wanted him to lose his credibility with the people and with the Roman government. How? Well, the religious leaders put all their little finite little tiny brains together and they came up with this plan that they thought they could paint Jesus into a corner by presenting him with a lose-lose situation. 
For they thought if Jesus condemns her and says, sure, do what the law of the Lord says, stone her to death, do it here, do it right now, then his reputation of love, grace, compassion would be tarnished. Plus, he'd be in trouble with the Romans because they weren't supposed to do that. Yet, if he said, no, don't stone her, then he would be rejecting the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments written in his word. Yes, they thought they had caught Jesus in the catch-22. No way out. But what fools they all proved to be. Who did they think they were? How in the world did these mere men think they could trap and confuse the living God? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.19, it says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their own craftiness. Yes, they were fools thinking they could somehow trick the all-powerful, all-knowledgeable, infinite God. I wonder how many of us have tried to do the same. Maybe you're living in sin and your life is filled with guilt even now. Yet you try to justify yourself. You try to convince yourself that what you're doing is is okay. Everyone does this. It's like, what's the big deal? You even try to do extra good works to help justify yourself. I'm such a good person. Look Look at all these good things that I do. Even though you've got that one black cloud of sin in your life. Thinking that somehow the good is going to outweigh the bad. As if somehow God grades on the curve. Know this. God will judge us for not only what we do. But for the very motive in our heart behind what we did. And why we did it. And no matter how many of the good works we have. It doesn't change the sin that's in our life. There will be no smoke and mirrors in heaven. Felix the cat will not show up with his bag of tricks, but uh, everything we have ever done will be judged before God. So why do we, like these religious leaders, think that we can somehow outthink God? That somehow we can fool the God of creation and get away with our sin. Like, it's not going to account for me because I'm so good in these other areas. Now, I can't answer why people think that, but I know for myself, I've tried to do it myself. I know it's like over the course of 42 years of being a Christian, I've tried to justify things in my life. And guess what? It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And what does Jesus do as these religious leaders think they have him backed into a corner? He does nothing. He does absolutely nothing. He doesn't even respond to them. He just like looks back down at the ground and he calmly starts writing with his finger. It's like, in case you've never noticed this in the Bible, this is the only time that it's recorded that Jesus is writing anything. But these accusers in verse 7, it says they persisted. That word in the original language means they continue to push him. Jesus, we're talking to you. Aren't you listening to us? They got stones in their hands. They're ready to go. This woman's weeping on the floor. I mean, everything is just crazy. And he's not like as if they said nothing. So they kept persisting. Hey, listen to us. Don't you see what's happening here? We caught her. What do you say we should do? They kept pushing it. Yes, while they were pushing Jesus on the outside, Jesus was looking at them on the inside. 
He knew exactly what they were up to as they had their fingers pointing to this woman's sin. They had turned a deaf ear to the burning sin of their own lives. Blinded by their own wickedness, they persisted. They pushed in asking Jesus, what do you say that we should do to this woman? And with a calmness in his voice, the master savior lifts his head once again and simply said, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. Wow, amazing. Oh, just, oh, that ice pick in the spine. I mean, it's just like, I mean, here are these guys, I'm sure when they were planning this strategy of tricking Jesus, I'm sure, well, if he says this, we'll say this. If he says this, we'll say this. They had a million things on their list of what he could possibly say, except that. He, any one of you who has no sin in their life, go ahead, cast the first stone. Wow. Notice it was from the eldest to the youngest. Oh, how the heart of Jesus must have burned in two different ways here. The first way that it was burning, he must have been filled with so much pity and compassion and love for this poor guilty woman. Yeah, she's guilty and she's laying on the ground. She's weeping. It's like she just lay at her at his feet and she's gushing her eyes with tears. Her heart is probably just terrified. It was filled with fear. Yet it also must have burned in a second way. It must have been burning in total rage and anguish against these religious hypocrites who set this woman up. I wonder what had transpired in this woman's life. I wonder what her story was that led her to the place where she's just hooked up with some man on this morning. I wonder what abuse she's had to endure as a child. I wonder what abuse she endured as a teenager, as a woman her whole life. I mean, was she from a divorced family? Did her parents die? Was her mom a prostitute and had her and just kicked her to the street at three years old? I mean, what, what is this woman? Where did she come from? What was her life? I mean, these are the standards that they lived by back then that we don't live by today. And it's like, here she is. She's just giving her body to whoever, probably looking for love, obviously, like I said before, in all the wrong places. Would someone ever love me? Would someone ever care for me? No, we're just going to use and abuse you. And here she was, used and abused by these religious leaders, setting her up. Possibly the guy that actually was laying with her, sleeping with her, that snuck out the back door, putting his clothes back on. He could be one of the guys with a stone in his hand. Are we serious? It's so easy to look at those who the world has hardened those who have callous hearts that are living in sin around us, all the reprobates of the world and say, I would never do what that person does. And maybe you wouldn't. Yet I wonder what we would be like if we had to endure the same miserable childhood that this woman had to deal with. Would we still be the same if you weren't in a loving, coddled relationship with your parents? Verse eight said, Jesus returned after he said that to writing on the ground. Many have wondered and speculated, well, what was he writing? 
Well, first of all, I'll just say right up front, we don't know because it doesn't tell us. So no one can say, oh, he was writing this because we're not told. But could it have been a time of revealing? Could it have been a time of show and tell? Maybe he was writing the sins of the woman's accusers on the ground. Maybe he was writing down the names of those who were guilty of the very same sin. Well, again, we just don't know. But one thing for sure, I don't think Jesus was playing tic-tac-toe on the ground with himself. He was writing something that was important. You know, the only other time that God was writing with his finger in all of the Bible, okay, the other time, well, I guess there's a couple times because I guess he was writing the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets he wrote with his finger. But then there was another time that he wrote, and it was in Daniel chapter 5. And in Daniel chapter 5, we have this spoiled little brat named Belshazzar. He was the son of Nebuchadnezzar, one of the great, you know, heathen kings that had all the appearance of coming to know God as a savior, you know, through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel the prophet. But anyway, his son's a spoiled little brat, never had to work a day in his life. So he takes over the kingdom. He's a little party animal with all his little party buddies and everything. So he says... Take all those gold goblets that we took when we ransacked Jerusalem and took all of God's people captive to Babylon. Let's go get those gold goblets and everything that came out of the temple and let's drink our wine and get drunk with them and praise the gods of this world. So he was in the midst of partying, having all a good old time. And then it says a hand just appeared and they started writing on the wall. And it wrote on the wall, meany, meany. Tekel, you Farsian. And it's just like, they had no idea what it meant. They had to call in Daniel, the prophet, to come in. What does this mean? Here, I'll tell you what it means. God has wrote on the wall that your days are numbered, pal. He's like, you were found in the, in the scales and you came up wanting. And that very night, another country came in and conquered them. And he died that night. So that's the other time that God was writing. So I guess, you know, you have, he was writing on the tablets of stone for Moses, the Ten Commandments. Then he wrote on the wall, your day is done, buddy. And now Jesus is writing on the ground. And it was probably your guys' days are done. Maybe we don't know for sure. Our world is full of sinners though, right? That are plunging deeper and deeper into sin. And because of that, we as believers are called to love people that are lost in sin. As Jesus loved them, you know, with an eye of mercy, we're to look at those around us. With an eye of compassion, instead of pointing fingers of hypocrisy and judgment on them, like these pious religious leaders did, we are to look at people that are lost in sin with eyes that are welling up with tears and sadness. Could you imagine your boss yelling at you? And just screaming at you, and he's just, you know, this violent person, or you maybe have a female boss, and she's just, rah, just coming all over you. Could you imagine, instead of you welling up and arguing back, could you imagine if you just looked at them with tears in your eyes? What caused them to be so bitter? Why are they so angry? Yes, I did something wrong. I need to be reproved in this situation at my job. But why are they yelling at me like this? Why are they demeaning me as a human? Why are they you know, just you know, calling me names and all of these things and threatening to fire me? It's like, what happened in her childhood? What happened to them? See, when we start looking at people, not through our eyes, but we look at them through Jesus' eyes, 
See, he sees back beyond that. He sees what happened to them, what caused them to be the angry person that they are now. See, it was Jeremiah the prophet that looked at his own people because Jeremiah the prophet was was warning the people that God is going to lead them into captivity through a nation called Babylon because of the rebellion. And so he was warning them and warning them and warning them. People never listened and they ended up going into captivity with Babylon and they lost their own country, Jerusalem and Israel. But it's like, this is what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 13, 17. He says, but if you will not listen, if you're not going to listen to me, he says, my soul will sob in secret for such pride and my eyes will bitterly weep and flow down with tears. See, that was Jeremiah's attitude. At one point in chapter nine, and verse one, he says, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I would weep day and night for the loss of the slain of the daughter of my people. When's the last time we've ever shed one tear for someone that was lost in sin? Yes, I believe that God desires revival. And I desire, and I know that he desires it right here in Los Angeles, in this sin city that we live in. And the day that God's people stop pointing fingers at people and stop and start weeping for the lost that are around us, that might be the day that revival starts. Notice what happened next. From the eldest to the youngest, again, they dropped their stones and they walked away. I wonder if there are any here today who need to get right with God. Well, it all starts with an openness to repent before God. It's an openness to say, oh God, I'm sorry. I have sinned. I'm doing these things. I'm as guilty as this woman is. It's like, God, I've done what is wrong. See, I love the honesty and the genuineness of this prayer that we see in the book of Lamentations, chapter one, verse 20. It says, see, O Lord, I am in distress. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is overturned within me. Why? Because I have been very rebellious. When have we ever got to the point where we're just like, God, I've sinned against you. See, you might accept whatever your lifestyle you're living in, but you were created by God. He makes your heart beat with no batteries. He allows your eyes to see, your lungs to breathe. We've sinned against him. And that's what I love about that. I've been very rebellious. I've done things that are wrong. Jesus now, after these guys all walk out, he, he, he put them to rest. Jesus now turns to this, this woman. His eyes are full of love and tenderness to her. And he speaks to her. Imagine that. This woman who was considered as nothing more than a worthless piece of trash. Jesus is speaking to her. This woman who's laying on the ground guilty with nowhere to turn. She's now being spoken to by the Lord himself. Oh, how this reveals our Savior's character. His profound yet delicate and tender love for sinners. He loves us. Yet the law of God reveals our sin. And the law of God points out our shortcomings. And we're all left like, oh, what am I going to do? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. I'm guilty of these things. And there's a judgment that's coming in the end. Yet Jesus, he shows loving, tender, pleading 
kindness as he looks deep into this woman's sin-stained soul. And, she, and he says, woman, you have to understand, this is, a, this is a title of respect, like ma'am, miss, listen to me. This is the same words that he spoke to his own mother when he was dying on the cross. As all the other disciples ran to save their own skin. It was only the man who wrote this gospel, John, the apostle John, that stood there next to his mother Mary as he's dying on the cross with one of his last words. He says, woman, behold your son and son, behold your mother as he gave the care of his mother into the hands of the apostle John who wrote this gospel. But he called his own mother woman. It's like, ma'am, a title of respect. This woman has probably never had any respect her entire life. And he looks at her with the softness of voice, with love in his eyes. And he asks her a question. Did no one condemn you? And she said back, no one, Lord, no one condemned me. Notice the religious leaders had no clue who Jesus was. How is that possible? They knew the scripture that said, this is what the Messiah will look like. This is what he will do. Jesus looked and did everything the Messiah was supposed to do. And they couldn't see him. Yet this woman who might be only wrapped in a blanket, if even that, laying on the ground, how is it that she knows exactly who Jesus was? And she called him Lord, for she had found a savior that morning. Jesus said in Luke 5, 31, he says, it's not those who are well who need a physician. Like like if if you're healthy, you're not going to the doctor. Who wants to go to the doctor? No one. He says, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's like, I didn't come for those that pat themselves on the back and I did it my way and I'm doing this and I do whatever. It's like, I didn't come for you. I came for those that know they need a savior. That's who I came for. He came for this woman and he came for me and he came for you. Now, progressive Christians, those who claim to know Jesus, yet they still want to live in sin. They want to do whatever they want to do, live in whatever sin. Oh, Jesus loves me. And they'll use this text to help justify them. Jesus loves us all, no matter what sin we're living in. And that's simply not true. For they, like many others, refuse to read the Bible in context. Of course, Jesus will forgive our sin. Absolutely, any sin. It doesn't matter how deep and how dark your sin may be. God can forgive you. He can cleanse you. But let's not forget the last words that Jesus spoke to this woman who had just been spared her own life. It's worth reading again. Verse 11. Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Oh, they left that part out. See, many people want to leave that part out. Oh, Jesus loves me. I can do whatever I want to do. No, 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 no. Go and sin no more. I'll forgive you, but sin no more. It's like the person that's like, you know, robbing a bank. Yeah, you know, God, you know, forgive me so much for robbing that bank as you're counting the money. Yes, Lord, forgive me. Oh, by the way, see, what bank do I want to rob tomorrow? You know, 
There's no forgiveness for you. You can say, Jesus, forgive me all you want. But you're planning on robbing the next bank. No forgiveness for you. No soup for you. Okay, it's like, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Jesus said to this woman, I don't condemn you. He forgave her. She was free to go. She, but he also told her, sin no more. This woman was broken. Her life was over. And she was like, oh. And then she cried out to the Lord. It's like the Lord had mercy on her. See, repentance means I'm walking in a direction and I stop. That's what repent means. It's just like you're walking. Well, I stop. Change directions and go another way. So the biblical sense of repentance is I'm walking in sin. I'm doing whatever I want to do, but I'm going to stop, change directions, and I'm going to go God's way. I'm not going to continue to live in this sin. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.